church. Let's hear from the word of the Lord this morning from John chapter 13. We're going to pick up in verse 31 and read down through 35. When he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. But I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. All right, well, good morning. Uh, just a, a real quick thought here, and just not going to make a, don't want to put George on the spot. But Jordan, what's the one instrument that I've wanted in our worship team for as long as I can remember? Oh, see, he's out. Anyone knows this, he's actually stepped out for a second. But it's violin. Like, I have longed for violin in our service for so long, and it's so good to hear that up here on stage. I, it's one of my favorite instruments to hear in worship. Um. We're finishing up a series on the doctrine of the church. And as we're finishing out these last two or three weeks, we're kind of setting our focus in on the, the true piety and practice of the church. In other words, those things that God has given the church, how he's ordered the church so that we might be ushered into a better and more fuller experience of, of grace. How God has designed a church. Not how we design a church, not our own engineering, but how God has designed his church. And we established last week that worship is the fountainhead of Christian piety, Christian godliness. It is the, it is the chief aim of our lives. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and worship him forever. That is what we aim to do. It is the heart of our mission. God has created us to worship and that worship with the gathered body of Christ is the most important thing we do each and every week. Amen? Amen? Let me say that again. Worship with the gathered body of Christ is the most important thing we can do each week. Amen. I know that sounds lofty and a little heavy, but it, it's just so true. It proves itself over and over again. Those who do seem to be lock and step. They stay close. They stay close to Christ because that's what we're here to do. And those who neglect that at times find themselves far from Christ. And if worship is the chief aim of our godliness, if it's the chief aim of our lives, if it is the very thing that Christ has created us to do, then everything we do as the church, okay, everything built on last week flows, everything we do from this point on forward flows from this worship of God, namely two things. How we, as a body of believers, live in communion of grace and mercy. And two, how we live as witnesses in the world. You can't get that backwards. We can't start with the mission to the world first. I know a lot of us want to, but that's not it. We start with worship that forms a community that leads to world mission. It goes in that order, in that order alone. If you're not worshiping God then you're not being formed into the people God wants you to be, and therefore your ability to minister to the world is going to be stunted. It just works that way. It's how it's always worked. The, 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 the main idea that I'm going to really press on the next two weeks, 
is this. True worship creates a community that displays the gospel to the world. True worship creates a community that displays the gospel to the world. And we're going to be really focusing in this morning on that middle part, creates a community. The worship of God, i.e. the gospel, Jesus, who we, as him is the center of our lives, true worship creates a community. Again, we can't talk about mission, we cannot talk about service, we cannot talk about evangelism before we talk about the community that God has formed by his grace through the right worship of himself. You just can't do it. And I, I, I will, I, we can go to the Bible and we can dig this one out because it is absolutely fundamentally true. I shared a quote from Mark Dever a few weeks ago. It's actually the name of one of his books. The church is the gospel made visible. So if we're worshiping God properly, that means we're becoming the people God wants us to be. Therefore, we display the gospel to the world. Let me say it again. The church is the gospel made visible. That is exactly why Jesus says the words that he says here in John chapter 13. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. The church is the gospel made visible. And today, that's my goal is to kind of pluck that out, like expand that out. What does that look like for us as the people of God? Like how does this play out in our lives of the church as the gospel made visible? Well, when we talk about Love for one another, as we saw here in John chapter 13. There's a lot that gets lost in translation, does it not? Especially in this world today that has all kinds of wonky ideas about love. Uh, we have a world, and sometimes even churches, that reduces love to kind of a feeling of goodwill towards one another. That's not love, according to the Bible. We have a world that also considers love as that thing where you love someone enough to avoid things that are going to be offensive or make them uncomfortable. That's not love either. Um, but the Bible presents love very differently. Love is a discipline. Love is a discipline. One of the things I say, and I do premarital counseling often, I'm doing one with a couple right now. Love is a discipline. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that comes and goes. Yeah, you might emotionally have ups and downs in your marriage, but love is a discipline. Love is a discipline of godliness. And the same is true within the church. You love the people God has brought you to. They are to love you the way you are to love them because, not because they're lovable. I got a newsflash for you. Some of you guys aren't that lovable. And your pastor's not that lovable very often. But you love anyway. It's a discipline. It's what we're called to do. And in this discipline of loving one another, again, that word one another is going to become very key in the rest of this sermon. Because all throughout the Bible, we just see this one another's. This is what we're to do for one another. And we're going to pluck that out just a little bit more here in a minute. But these one another love of God is, comes in three distinct ways in the church. The very most important way that we love one another is to help each other look at Jesus. John Owen says it, I, think, I believe this is John Owen's quote, I might be wrong, if you know it differently, you can correct me later. For every look at your sin, look at Jesus two times. Cast two looks at Jesus. 
That is our job. The first and most fundamental job of our love for one another is to always live in a relationship with one another, that we have the right and responsibility to help each other cast our look upon Jesus. And when we say cast that look, it means for us to help each other take joy in the gospel as we remember the sufficient work of Christ for us on the cross. We wander from that, do we not? The world presses us and makes us, forces us at times, or makes me feel like the world forces us. Our sin forces us to think that we have to earn other things to merit ourselves before God, and therefore it creates anxiety, increased tension in our life, and of course it creates separation. Your works righteousness will create separation between you and God, not draw you closer. And so one of the most fundamental ways that we love as a discipline in the church is to remember the work of Christ for each other, help each other do this. The second way we do this is to help one another pursue holiness, to fight the drift into sin. One of my favorite people in the entire world is a guy named Jeremy Rose. He pastors Axis Church in downtown. Every year they do a little series called Fight the Drift. Because he realizes that the church's job is to constantly remind ourselves we've got to fight that drift because that drift in sin is always pressing, always pushing into our lives. The third way, then, of course, then, is to help one another proclaim the gospel as we live as witnesses in the world. Now, you should be noticing something about all these disciplines. They take a community. You will struggle to keep your eyes on Jesus if you don't have a community around you keeping you there. You will struggle to pursue holiness if you don't have a community around you to push you there. You will struggle to be witnesses in the world if you don't have a community that will put you there. This love of one another is a holistic vision of spiritual education and self-care, how we, I'm sorry, soul care for one another so that the gospel is displayed brightly in our church. That's our aim. To the degree that I aim to help you see Jesus, to the degree that I help you pursue holiness, and to the degree that I help you be witnesses in the world, is to the same degree that this church will display brightly the gospel to the world. And that's just not my job. That's not just Delon and Josh and Justin's job. That is each one of us sitting in this room's job. If you call yourself a believer in Christ. And so when Jesus is telling them the command to love one another, he is calling them into this one another ministry I mentioned just a few minutes ago. That God uses one another ministry to grow our godliness and to deepen our experience of grace. I've said it several times in this series. But let me say it again just to annoy you. The Bible never Oh man, please, never has in view an individualistic vision of the Christian life. The Bible has in view a corporate, a communal pursuit of worship and holiness and witness. God creates a people, not persons. I fear at times we've, we've relegated the the church and a lot of our gospel work, although good, at times is focused too individualistically. I come, I get my peace, hopefully it edifies me, I become a better person this week, and I rinse and repeat. And that's true. But it's so much more than that. A community that God creates is not an autonomously barely linked group of individuals. 
It's people who love one another. They push into one another. They press into one another. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like here this morning. Three things that I will, you want to jot these down, that's fine. We're going to look at three things. The practice of this gospel love from Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture, look at a lot of Scripture, a lot of different verses this morning. It's not our pattern to do it this way. We really like preaching through books of the Bible. Um, but I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture on these one another's. So we're going to look at, number one, the practice of, the gospel, of gospel love in the Scripture. The second thing we will look at is the pathways that we are creating here at Grace for this gospel kind of love. And the third is going to be the potholes that we stumble into often. Okay? So let's just look at this first one, the practice of gospel love from Scripture, from the Scriptures. And to say that it's all over the place is just not doing it justice. All over the Bible, the, the one another's are everywhere. And I'm just going to focus in on Paul because he uses it 33 times. He calls them to consider the one another's of their commitment to one another. Now here's what happens sometimes in our Bible teaching. We fall into two ditches. We have this ditch of preach the heat. And we have the ditch of preach the heart. And so, and we follow this and we see this, listen, listen to Facebook right now. I mean, watch it. Everyone's like got the heat or they got the heart. But we're, we're kind of acting like they're enemies of one another. So the heat is, excuse my language, sorry about the feedback there. The heat of preaching the Bible comes in that real doctrinaire approach. Now, again, we love doctrine here, Grace. You've been on our website and you've been here more than five minutes. You know that we are serious about our doctrine. But the kind of doctrine heat that we're talking about is those kind of people who just who just really kind of feel like it's their job and aim and responsibility to bludgeon people with the truth as if somehow or another that's going to cause people to be changed that's what the pharisees did and jesus confronted them on it he says you have all the doctrine he never you know it's funny about jesus he actually never really confronted a lot of the doctrine for the pharisees he always confronted the what the heart and so there's sometimes this kind of division between the preaching of the heat and the preaching of the heart. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about that kind of, if you, if you divorce the heart from the heat, what do you end up with? Kind of the sentimentality, right? Sentimentalism. Where just, oh man, don't make anyone feel bad. Like, not, don't run anybody off because that's a little bit too offensive. That's a little too harsh, a little too edgy, pastor. But the Bible never pits these two against one another, does it? And we just see this in Paul's, man, epistles everywhere. That the Bible is deeply concerned not only with our doctrine, but also our devotion. Not only with the heat, but with the heart. And how that doctrine is put into practice in the life of the church. And I will tell you that most of the time, it's always framed in this one another ministry I've been mentioning. Paul particularly was concerned with this one another ministry and how it is practiced and how it helped practice the gospel in the church. You can find the root of it in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That just tells me a lot there, right? We are called to be members of one another. Like that's kind of the base that Paul operates off when he thinks about this whole idea of one another ministry. You are members of one another. You've kind of, it's kind of the same way when we talk about marriage. No longer two, but one. Not two flesh, one flesh. 
Now, of course, it's not the same as marriage, but it's the same idea. We are now members of one another. Now, what does it mean for us to be members of one another? Well, I'm glad you asked because we've got a lot of scripture we're going to post through here for a minute. A lot of it's going to be here in Romans. We're going to look at some Ephesians. We're going to look at some others. If you were to continue to read in Romans chapter 12, after verses 4 and 5, come to verse 10. You can, in fact, if you want to read, you want to turn to Romans 12. We'll be there for a few minutes. The next one another that we find is love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take heed in honoring one another. One verse, two references to one another. Love one another. How? Honoring one another. Now, how does this help us understand that membership within one another? That we are called to honor one another. And Paul elsewhere talks about what this honor looks like. We mentioned it a couple weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. For God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that he would have no division in the body, but that members would have the same concern for each other. If you find yourself pitted constantly against other believers, sin is having a deep effect on your life. It is. Always wondering, always walking away going, that person's wrong constantly. Honor them. If they are both, you and them are, are, are clinging, are looking to Jesus and, and pushing, him at the, pushing him to the center of your life, honor them. That's what it means to be members of one another. Down in verse 16, he continues, live in harmony with one another. Kind of adding that idea, right? Do not be proud. So how do we live in harmony? Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble and do not be wise in your own estimation. Ooh, that's a verse for the day, is it not? How many are wise in their own estimation today? No, the Bible says, don't be wise in your own estimation. Pursue peace. Pursue harmony with one another. Don't be proud in your own conclusions about the state of affairs in our world. Be humble. Be willing to converse. Be willing to discuss. But don't be proud. Because guess what's going to happen to this old world we live in? It's going to fade. And Jesus is going to bring a new one in one day. I can apply this to a lot of places, and certainly with the rise of the, the variant that we all are hearing about, everyone's radar's up, right? Their defenses are up. And it's not wrong for Christians to form opinions about these matters. And it's not wrong for Christians to form opinions that are contrary to one another in some degree. It's not, because these are not central. But I just think it's really important that we step aside and show peace to one another. And in those places that we feel extremely confident in, please show humility. Please show harmony. That is what we're called to do. Picking up over in chapter 15 of Romans, verse 7. Therefore, Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to glory, to the glory of God. Man, be ready to invite one another into one another, your lives. One of the things that we don't do for you at Grace 
is the very thing that you can do for yourself. And that means you pursue one another. Now, of course, we have programs and we have things that we put in here and we have small groups and we certainly want to invite people into those things. But it's, and that's some of that to help people who are new to our church to find a place quickly. Sunday school, small groups, whatnot. We have uh, the potlucks that come up here recently. We're going to get those back going this fall as well, once a month, Lord willing. But we're a family. And I'm not going to organize your social calendar. And I don't think it's our call to do that. Just do it. Find space. Invite someone to your house. Have a bonfire. Do it with some breadth. Right? You can do it with some of the same people for a while and then go, I'm changing gears and I'm going to have another group of people in my house this month and we're just going to get to know as many of the people that God has brought me to and covenanted my family with as possible. Be hospitable. Open up our lives to one another and as well as unbelievers. Man, when unbelievers come into a place like this, it is otherworldly. It's one of the things I love about our church because when people come in, they're like, whoa, this is, there's something really special about the dynamic when you walk in this place. And I'm not just like, like laying on complimentary, uh, uh, compliments onto you guys. I'm just telling you it's true. Like people come in and they're like, wow, you guys are incredibly engaging Loving, quick to meet people, hospitable. Hospitality can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't mean, by the way, you always have to have your home open or this, that, and the other. It just means making time, making space, and, and however that looks for you. Verse 14 of chapter 15. He continues on with this one another idea. Let's read it. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of godliness, good, I'm sorry, goodness, and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So there is a call among the body of Christ to instruct one another. There's two sides of this. One is there's a need for everyone to grow up in their faith. Grow up in their knowledge of the things that have been passed on, as Jude says. Contend for the faith that has always been once and delivered from the apostles. The other side of that is, it means, kind of goes back to that humility thing back, that I'm willing to be instructed by others too. Are you willing to be instructed by others? Seems to me that's one of the pitfalls we'll talk about here in a minute, down in a few minutes. But it's just true, right? Growing up to understand, in our understanding of word and doctrine... I'm going to give you a way here in just a few minutes that we're talking about here at Grace about how we want to raise up more sound counselors in the church. This year, last year and a half, the Lord has given us a, a good amount of pastoral care needs. And of course, the church, the elders are walking alongside them. But what would it look like if we had an army of counselors in this church that we could just have other people, we could say, hey, I need you to walk along with this individual while we're caring for them, but you're going to be in the, and you're going to be in it with them, and you feel confident in that responsibility. Well, I'm going to tell you about that here in just a few minutes. And then we're going to jump over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, to be specific. Here Paul speaks of Verses 1 through 3, therefore I, the prisoner of the, in the Lord, urge you, the church, plural, to walk worthy of the calling in which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Again, feels like Paul's got an agenda here, right? Feels like unity, and, and unity not just being superfluous, kind of very thin, you know, uh, sentimental, sent, sentimental humi- humility, and unity, I'm sorry, but that Paul has an idea that our unity is really grounded in that call we see in verse 4 one body one spirit as you were called in one hope and you're calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in all it's that unity that drives us to humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love in verse 2 seek Love with humility and gentleness and patience. There's this notion, I think, at times in the church, at least in our context, the American evangelical world, that we are called to be blunt instruments in the world. Heavens no. Heavens no. Yes, speak truthfully but with mercy, with grace, laced in kindness to the one who needs to hear this truth, that desperately needs it to transform their lives. Don't be the kind of person who speaks truth with pride. Don't be, that's the opposite of humility. Don't be the person who speaks truth like a, not gentleness, but harshness. Don't be the person who is speaking the truth, not in patience, but in irritability. Like you're annoyed by the fact that they haven't come along as far as you want them to come along. It's so easy to fall into that, is it not? No, let's seek love through humility, gentleness, and patience. Ephesians 4, again, down in verse 31. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath Shouting and slander, be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has forgave you in Christ. If God has created, it's just reverse that, right? God has forgiven you in Christ. Be kind and compassionate and forgiving, which is the opposite of bitter, anger, and wrathful. Right? Forgiving, if you're not forgiving, you're wrath. You want to get a piece of flesh. If the words come out of your mouth, what have you done lately to show mercy, that that I should show you mercy, you need to run back to that cross as fast as you possibly can. Because you need mercy. You need grace. I need grace, if that is where my heart is. Forgiving one another means we cancel debts. Now listen, let me make sure, we, just a little side note here. Forgiving doesn't mean that, that this eliminates the process of reconciliation. Like, there are people I have to forgive, but that doesn't mean that their relationship is automatically just restored. It takes time to reconcile and work through some things so that you are, you're, you're united again. Of course, that's true. But forgiving means to the degree that you have experienced that unconditional love and forgiveness in Christ, you also 
extend it. Because it literally displays the gospel. And in Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I love this verse. You know why? Because it's right there before we go into the whole wonderful thing about wives and husbands and wives submit your husbands and husbands die for your wives and give your life for your wives. Like, because what people don't realize about this text is that the whole relationship between husbands and wives is a mutual submission. It's the same thing in the church. I'm willing to submit myself to you because you, with Christ in you, have my best interest in mind. And, I'm, and you willing to submit to me, not just as your pastor, but as your brother in Christ, because I have, with Christ in me, your best interest in mind. This is hard. And it requires us spirit-enabled gifts to empty ourselves when we would not naturally empty ourselves. It requires us to set aside personal ambitions at times to serve the interests of the whole. It just does. So that's the practice of love that we see coming out of Scripture. And listen, I could go a long day. If you want me to, we can. Let's just go at it, right? But I think we get the point. So what are the pathways then that we should see at Grace and we do are seeking to build out at Grace that will help you practice this love for one another? Well, let's just talk broadly. For one, hospitality. We talked about it a minute ago, but I'll say it again. One of the first impressions, as I said earlier, that most people get is how quickly we are to engage one another in personable ways. And man, let me just say this. I encourage you to keep that up. Make room. Invite someone over to your house for lunch after church. Go to whatever restaurant of your choice after church or this evening. Do whatever it takes. Schedule a lunch or a dinner one night this week. Do that. Make room for those things. Be deliberate in your invitations. It's a ministry of Grace Church, but it's really the ministry that we entrust to you. Not a ministry that we put boundaries on. We just say, you do it. And you've done it. Second is pursuing church membership. Yeah, pursuing church membership is an act of love. You know why it's an act of love? Well, it seems obvious to me, but let's make sure that it said community deepens with commitment. It just does. So get in membership. If you're a believer, get in membership of the church. If it's not us, then let's help, let us help you find that church. Foundation seminar that Amanda mentioned earlier starts in September. Love for you to be a part of it if you're not a member of our church. Join us for Sunday school at 9 o'clock. I'll find you, and we'll go into a class, and we'll begin to talk about what membership looks like here. We strongly believe at Grace Church that the local church membership is important, and it is taught clearly in the Bible. And attending and participation, they're fine, but spiritual edification deepens in committed community. It just does. Sunday school classes. It's another pathway we have here. You know what? It's so funny because if I go and meet with John and Joe, who are the pastors of Providence, which is our mother church, they laugh at how much I'm a Sunday school guy now. Because I used to be like the anti-Sunday school guy. Oh, that's just an old antiquated thing. We need to get everyone in small groups and blah, 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 blah. 
and they just seriously giggle when I talk about Sunday school. Let me just make it clear. Sunday school is the bomb, and you need to be a part of it. And I want to tell you what, it's the glue that has kept our church together in a lot of ways. I'm just telling you right now, we started it this morning, and I hope that you will make an effort to be here with us next week if you weren't here this morning. Of course, corporate worship is the most important aspect of our Sunday gatherings, but don't neglect the opportunity to have your kids in a class learning down doctrine from really good teachers, by the way. we got some fantastic teachers teaching these classes. Don't neglect coming to adult Sunday school, grabbing that cup of coffee on the way down the hall, look at our resource wall, find something good to read, it's yours, take it whatever you need. Come in, do these kinds of things. So that, and then get in the class and just listen to people talk and chat. We have a, one of our teachers is always doing a good job with this. Delon taught this morning, but we always try to engage people in discussion in some way. It's just really, really good. Our DNA groups, which Amanda mentioned earlier, we're going to relaunch that. We're resetting those here in September. But that's where we get a little bit more community. It's where we see God's word get deepened and pressed into the gospel, pressed more deeply into our lives. DNA stands for discover, nurture, and act. It's where we work together studying God's word to discover the, the heart of the gospel, to nurture that gospel into our lives, and then call one another and encourage one another to act on it. You might call it accountability, but I hate that word because it's been so misused. Man, we want to discover, nurture, and act on the Bible. Wow, how transformative could that be? And if you're not in a DNA group, let's get you, one, get you in one, please. We're not just trying to, by the way, fill up your time. I know you're busy people. I'm a busy person. But we're coming along with you because of love. Serve the congregation. It never fails. People who serve together stay together. If you were in this building at all, or especially on the work days, I bet you got closer to the people that you worked with that, with that day. If you've been on a mission trip with someone, I bet you have a deeper relationship with that person. If you teach a class for kids and youth and, or, or you're on the clean team or you're, again, the remodel team, man, those bonds get deeper. Serve. When you hear needs, jump in. And then this is the part that I want to talk about, soul care. There's just always needs in the church where people are going through extraordinarily difficult seasons of their life. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's family, maybe it's health. Maybe it's jobs, whatever. And that soul care, of course, is led by the pastors and cared for by the pastors. But these spaces are very hard and they're very time consuming. And it would be wonderful if we had people who were trained. And as we grow as a church, it's going to continue to multiply. And I just wonder what it would look like. So we mentioned the leadership lab this morning. That's coming up in November. It's on your bulletin. It's a once a quarter thing, but this one's going to focus on trying to give you tools to become a, a kind of a soul care partner with us. Where we would give you some tools and some training on that day. And then you could be a go-to person for us when someone's in the pit. When someone's in the darkness. Would you join us in that? You sign up on a, we'll have a clipboard out. I didn't have it out this morning, I'm sorry. but Or you can just email me. You want to be a part of that. This, it's, a, it's a little bit of reading to get into it. Like between now and November, you've got plenty of time to do it. And then we're coming together for about a three-hour session, a couple of sessions in, in a, in a three-hour window. We'll have breakfast. 
or try to get you some training going. That's leadership lab. We want to train up soul care warriors in our church. Another way we can do this is to give to those soul care needs because sometimes they're just needs, financial needs among people, whether it's rent or like right now we have a, a number of people who are needing and asking for counseling beyond us, like professional counseling. And one of the things we, we want to make sure you know this is that because that need exists and we are trying our best to be uh, um, judicious with how we tell people what those needs are, if you're interested in helping us fray some of those costs for people who are in need of counseling, would you just like go online? It's all, it's a thing. Delon has a little tab, right, Delon, on there? It says, yeah, um, what's the word? Um, benevolence fund. And Benevolence Fund goes 100% to church members and their families to help them in needs when we have the funds available. Would you help us build a little fund for that as the year goes on? You can give it any time of year you want. We're actually probably going to give a portion of our missions fund this Christmas towards helping that get started. There's just lots of ways for soul care. Church discipline is a way that we love. Oh, I know, I know. You think a church discipline is kind of like that nefarious like crime family in the back room and guys in a smoky back room and they're just making all the decisions for people and they're just trying to decide who they're going to whack off next right that's not church discipline church discipline is pursuing those who are running from jesus and calling them back to that grace and that love and it comes in a lot of different ways and we push and we push and we pray and we try to do our best to see god renew their lives so those are some pathways. We have the practices. We have some pathways. Well, let me just talk for a minute, and we'll, we'll finish up. Potholes, because there are always potholes, right? There's always things. We're sinners. We're broken. We mess this up. And let's be honest, sometimes we really miss it as a church when it comes to some folks. We fall into, we, we fail as brothers and sisters in Christ, and, we fail, and, and those brothers and sisters fail us. And, and listen, one of, the, one of the common refrains that we hear as elders, I've heard over the many years I've been doing ministry, and sometimes I just don't feel really, really connected here. I get it. And it's a serious claim, and we want to take it seriously when you bring that attention to us. And, and again, as I've served in ministry over this, this time, some 20 years, I found some common threads as to why that exists in a church. And these are not exhaustive, but these are at least some of the main things that I've seen. And so here are some potholes that I want to help you avoid. Number one, neglect of participation. It seems to me, and I can be guilty of this if, I don't, if I'm not careful, like I can let my calendar just rule my life if I'm not careful. I have to work hard at that. But we're just prone to allow the cares of life to distract us from the ordinary rhythms of Christian life, namely a deep participation in the church. And it never fails. I've had this as I was a youth pastor for years in another previous church. And, you know, I'd have moms and dads who had their kids in every activity under the sun, and then they would come to me and say, well, my kid don't come to this because they just don't feel connected. Oh, yeah, really? I wouldn't have, wouldn't have imagined that would be a possibility. It just does. And I'm not trying to be coy. It takes time. And I'm just asking you to be diligent in that. Don't let that, at least, if you don't feel connected here, don't let that be the reason. You might have good, reasonable reasons, and we'll talk about them here in a minute, of why you're not connected, but, but don't let that be the reason. Because it just, it's so easy. And I'm going to tell you right now, just as a person on the other side of that conversation sometimes, I sometimes, when people get a little distant, 
I, I, it's always that fine line of being too pushy and being too hands-off, right? I think most of us feel that in here. But let's not neglect the participation be a reason why you don't feel connected here. Second pothole is failure to pursue other members. So the opposite is, there are real members, and you know what? We get in our little relational silos inside the church, and we neglect to just pursue other people and make room for more people. That's one of my biggest fears as, church, as Grace Church is that we get kind of happy and content with our size. Oh, this is the kind of size church I want to be. I've actually had people say, that I don't want our church to get any bigger. And listen, I don't have an issue with size. I don't care if it's small or large or any of that kind of stuff. But I do want us to be faithful. And if the Lord brings us people, then we need to be faithful to them. Make room. So let's pursue members. When they, when they make the agreement, when they stand before you and take the members' vows, you're making a commitment to them. You're making a commitment to, I will pursue you to the best of your ability. We're all, again, no one here is on the, on the, on the hook for that alone. And I know, again, don't want to be too pushy when people, you know, some people's personalities, sometimes they're not, you're not, not sure how to go about it, but push anyway. Listen, friends, the world is a dangerous place for unconnected Christians. The world is a dangerous place for unconnected Christians. And if the Bible calls us to biblical communion, I believe with all my heart it does, we should press in, in press into that life of one another. And even if we get stiff-armed from other people. Third pothole. It's a little weird, but it's a big deal today. Autonomous, expressive individualism. Okay, big word. Three big words, autonomous, expressive individualism. What do I mean by that? It just means you really think you're a big deal. And you want everyone to make a big deal about you. And you want this church to fit you. And if it doesn't fit you, then you're going to go keep on that exhaustive, endless search for another church that you never find. Sometimes we want the church to fit our specific needs, our specific stage of life, or even our interests. And sometimes we want the church to just make a big deal about us. Do you know what kind of like, gifting I have, Pastor? And you're not using me in this way. And you know why I'm not using you? Because of your attitude. Friends, don't let our individualism, our expressive, how we kind of see ourselves, whether it's the, you know, listen, it's good for us to utilize the giftings of the church. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of that here. Certainly could do better, I'm sure. And we never want to make one person the center of our life. And churches do this all over the place. They make a big deal about the guy who stands behind this pulpit. They make a big deal about the people who stand up here on the stage. And that's some wonderful gifts. I made a big deal about Georgia and the violin. I hope she keeps coming doing it for us. That's awesome. But the reality is, the church isn't here to make a big deal about you. The church is here to make a big deal about Jesus. And we do that together. We do that together. And we offer those things up with our hands open, and we trust Jesus. Uh, one statement that I hear from Jonathan uh, Lehman many times is, God doesn't give you the church you want. He gives you the church you need. Last, demanding love on your own terms. We just want people to love us, and we want to kind of unmitigated acceptance. Don't expect anything of me, but I can expect everything of you kind of mentality. Right, very self-centered, fits my schedule, fits my personality, fits this. And don't you dare push on me and expect anything of me. But I can expect you when I don't feel like you're doing enough for me. 
And that's just, just worldliness. And, and, and though I want to hear that, and I'll, and I'll have an empathetic heart when you sit down and talk to me, but there also eventually comes when a, a brother and sister looks at him and says, you know what, you're being really, really selfish. I know that's a hard word to hear, and we want to be gentle with that, but God calls us to pathways. God calls us to these practices, and he calls us to avoid these potholes. Why? So that we said earlier, the church displays the gospel. Amen? The church displays the gospel. So our love for one another runs out of our love of God. Our love of one another runs downstream of our love of God. And to the degree, and this is where I'm ending it, to the degree that we love God, we will see a deepening pursuit of love in the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray and prepare ourselves for the Lord's table. God, help us now as we now move to the time of the table. And I pray that, Jesus, that you would be glorified in this humble offering of your word this morning. As we try to piece together this picture of love of one another in the church. And as we come to the table, God, we come in unity. We come as brothers and sisters, not as people who are perfect, but because people of faith who trust and love one another. And help us now as we step into this time together. It's in Christ's name. Amen.